Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, this is Jim Boyle, an Australian open mascot crumble from Glasgow, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Jim and Crumble the Dog, our Australian Open mascots, introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Those were happier, simpler times, Catherine Whitaker, weren't they? You know, all we had to worry about in January was whether we'd got a new bit of content, picture-wise, of Crumble to have a look at back in January. Those were the days. Yeah. I mean, Crumble's probably having a great time, isn't he? Dogs are (laughs) the main beneficiaries of... uh the world ending how does that work well dogs just have all their owners at home all the time and get to go for walks no more than an hour a day of course i thought it's <laughs> half an hour or has it been upped i thought it was an hour oh. but therein lies the lack of clarity do, in the uk government's <laughs> uh, <laughs> response to the coronavirus oh. uh, so we're back, everybody, uh, for another listener question special because we felt that the previous one didn't really go so well in terms of our production. Um, we got through four questions and uh, we thought, well, given we've got about another hundred, we better get through through another four. Uh, Matt, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I was just, I was just going to say the intro game is strong at the moment. We had Exquisite on Monday and we had uh, some barks on, on today's for the first time ever. Yeah, that's the first time we've ever, we've ever heard a dog in an intro. It's my best ever review, that bark. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, we've got loads more questions of yours to answer. We're going to be back again on Monday as well with our next edition of Tennis Relived, Monte Carlo and Fed Cup, because those tournaments were supposed to be going on as I talk to you. Imagine how good that uh... would be to watch that right now. All those people posting the classic shot of Monte Carlo from yeah, the press Yeah, get in the room. bin. Yeah, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> no. Go away, all of you. Oh. Anyway, so that would have been going on. It's not. Uh, so we're going to delve back into the archives. Can we tell people yet what, we, what we're what we going to watch? I think we can, can't we? Yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah, that okay. okay. Well, we're going to watch, yeah. from Monte Carlo, we're going to watch an absolute classic with aggro between Boris Becker and Thomas Muster from 1995. We're going to watch it on Tennis TV. They've got it on the archives on there. So watch it with us if you can. And uh, we'll be talking about it in Monday's show. So I think we're going to watch Becker against Muster on Sunday at four o'clock in the afternoon UK time because we need about four hours to watch it in because it's a it's a bit of an epic. Back in the days of uh, best of five set Masters series finals. Yeah, that's right. And then in the Fed Cup, we are going back 
even further. We're going back to 1986 to a really vintage special year. story. Vintage as, as, year for births. Right. Okay. Uh, Why's that? The, the, well, c- clearly the year I was born. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Catherine was born in 1986, everybody. So how much she remembers of this match, I, I don't think there's going to be much. Really. More than me. Also, I, <laughs> no. In fact, we're, we're trying to post pictures of ourselves from the years in which we are covering. So I'm fascinated to see Catherine's picture and Matt's. I, we're going to have to get creative, is all I can say. It's... Um, it- it's not really relived if you never lived it in the first place, is it? <laughs> yeah, Matt's, we're both just going to live it, Matt. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, I was 13, uh, 1986, and uh, I'm trying to lose all the pictures that I have before I have to pick one. I'm very um, intrigued about if you could produce a picture where you're with other people of the same age. I'm I'm interested in what height you were relative to your peers aged 13 no i was more or less your average you were tr- you were of, tracking the national average about yeah, and okay then, and then it got silly around about 16 things started getting out of hand um don't quite know why but anyway um so yeah 1986 we're going back to for the fed cup final and more for the story i suppose rather than any individual match we will be watching the match between martin and avratilova and hannah mandlikova uh in 1986 the fed cup final played in czechoslovakia as was then the first time that navratilova had returned to czechoslovakia having moved and changed nationality to the united states some uh 11 years earlier and well what what a story and uh we're gonna we're gonna cover that in some depth in uh tennis relived that's coming up in uh, a few days time and it was mary that tipped us off about that that tie and the occasion and the significance of it and um that whetted our appetites and matt's managed to find a really good quality um stream on youtube so we are we're well set up for that one i'm i'm really I'm really excited about that one, not just because it was in 1986 and so it was guaranteed to be excellent. <laughs> and uh, if Mary's recommended it, also guaranteed to exactly. be excellent. Exactly. So it's a, we it's a winner. Do it. So that's our Saturday night sorted. Uh, Saturday Big at 8pm, eight, 8 sort of. we're going to be watching that UK time. So three in the afternoon on the East Coast um, and we will post the link uh, for you to watch that match with us. And then we'll have the podcast to follow on Monday. So, yeah, we got a load of questions coming your way. Just a little bit of news before we get to them. Um, because the tournament in Montreal has been cancelled. No huge surprise. I mean, that came shortly after, um, I think it was Quebec announced that there would be no sporting events until, I think, the end of august which means that that tournament just simply can't be played um the the feeling and that's the women's tournament the feeling is that although toronto hasn't followed suit as a city that is likely to follow um is is the the suggestion i heard from michael downey the uh, ceo of tennis canada and it's going to put enormous pressure on national federations like that 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 use and require so much revenue and and make so much profit from those sort of tournaments so really feel for them and yeah it's just another sad story and the decimation of the tennis calendar in 2020 and we wait to see when tennis will be viable again 
Yeah, that news landed in my inbox uh, about an hour before the news of um, the Taylor Swift concert uh, that I had tickets for being cancelled. So that was that was a bad day in a in a sea of at best mediocre days, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, a slightly bizarre one in terms of Montreal being cancelled and Toronto not. It's interesting that that's a tournament going kind of in the middle of a of a swing. Oh, I suppose it's sort of at the start of the US hard court swing. It's the first Masters series of the US Open series. Um, but I, I think it, it presents significant issues for... For the US Open, which, as we understand it from Simon Briggs's piece, really, really wants to go ahead as scheduled at the moment, really um, resistant to the prospect of changing dates and location. Well, I can't see tennis coming back cold turkey with a slam. I, I see tennis coming back with a with a swing leading up to a slam. Um, so the, the swing starting to fall by the wayside doesn't look good for the, the slam at the end of the swing, if that makes sense. But last we heard, last reports we heard of the US Open were from Simon indicating they were pretty desperate to, to make it happen one way or another this year in their slot in August, September, um, and the preference for them would be behind closed doors to to any kind of moving or cancellation. So, yeah, we'll see. Should say that it is currently the only tournament in that swing that has been cancelled, but that doesn't mean it will be the last. I think the thing is about the US Open, the Billie Jean National Tennis Centre that the US Open is played at is currently being used as a hospital or at least as a provisions area to provide services for, for, for those who need it in the health service. And so, you know, I know I know it's still four or five months away, but that is, given it is the epicentre of the disease in the United States, it's a it's pretty ambitious, isn't it, to think that it, things will have cleared up enough in time for international travel and all that sort of thing i guess maybe behind closed doors might be a possibility but it's still a long a long shot well, well personally i think with tennis the international travel is going to present the the biggest impediment to things getting back up and running again because yes things will be different from country to country by august canada might be in a really good position um in terms of the virus relative to the united states say but that doesn't mean that tennis players based everywhere across the globe are going to feel comfortable traveling by air mostly even if it is to a country that is relatively safe i just can't see everybody being cool the, the players being cool about about traveling and yes you can eliminate the the crowds you can eliminate the sort of venue based risks but <laughs> You can't get around the need for tennis players. And I just, I struggle to see um, how everyone is going to be okay um, or okay enough with, with as as they'd need to be with international travel by, by that time, which means that they they would all have to go, I think. But 
I don't know. I I just I don't like this sort of one tournament going and another one staying, and I feel like it needs to be more united than that. But that's something we've heard before, isn't it? <laughs> it's tennis. Welcome everybody, <laughs> and we are the tennis podcast. So all we're going to do is react to it. Um, should say as well, there's been. A, a good old talking point on Twitter in the last couple of days between Brad Gilbert, Tracy Austin, Andy Roddick about whether the frozen rankings that we currently now have should be counting towards weeks at world number one, i.e. for the record books, so that if Novak Djokovic were to not play and nobody was to play for the next five months, whether he should have five months' worth of weeks at number one to add to his total, helping him past Pete Sampras and then eventually past Roger Federer. Now, Brad Gilbert says, I totally disagree that the weeks at number one should should not count. He says that they should definitely count for Novak Djokovic during this freeze period of the rankings. If the points were falling off every week during this time frame, he would maintain his number one spot till everybody's points fell off in theory. I should also add Brad must be getting very excited because he's put five emojis in that particular tweet. Um, and yeah, he feels pretty strongly that, that Djokovic, for instance, should be able to, to count that in the record books. Tracy Austin completely disagrees. Rankings are frozen, period. In my opinion, those weeks don't count towards the total. People can argue the off-season counts. This is not like an off-season. This is unprecedented, not since 1945 of tournaments being cancelled. And Andy Roddick says... Brad, to be clear, you're happy giving someone credit for an all-time record because they most likely would have done it, or some logic following those lines. I agree it sucks, but it's tough to give someone an assumed result when dealing with history. You have to play the matches. What do you think, Matt? What do you think, Catherine? I totally agree with Andy Roddick and Tracy Austin. To me, it doesn't make any sense to keep kind of those cumulative time-sensitive records going when time essentially in tennis is frozen. You would freeze those records as well. Uh, this is it's absolutely not the off-season. You know, and, it, and the off-season lasts, what, four or five weeks. They get extra on their ranking. It's kind of like a bonus for being the year-end number one. You get those, you get those few weeks. It, to me, it doesn't make any sense that they would carry on those records, and I think they've made the right decision to... To stop them, you know, we're going to, well, we're not exactly going to pick up where we left off, but we will pick up at a certain point and Djokovic will, will have the same ranking point lead that he had when we stopped. So to me, it makes sense what they've done. Absolutely ludicrous for me even to suggest that those weeks should count. I don't think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I don't think Novak Djokovic wants those records that way. I think that would feel hollow. Um, and I think you should never trust a tweet with five emojis in it. <laughs> I don't even know five emojis, uh, but I do agree with both of you on, on that subject of, uh, of freezing rankings. Yeah, absolutely. Stop everything. When we pick up, we pick up, and then they can all go to battle again. Um, should I say as well, we had quite a reaction from Monday's podcast when we were answering your questions. The The question that engendered the, the biggest response from everybody was from your dad, Catherine. Uh, everybody loved this question. Uh, if, you, if you can't remember what it was, uh, it was a meteor impact did for the dinosaurs and allowed hitherto small and insignificant mammals to flourish in the post-apocalypse world. Who, what, where 
are the tennis mammals that we will see gaining dominance post-COVID-19. Thank you, David Whittaker. Uh, in response to that, I, I asked on Twitter, we've given our response, so what's your response? Pedro says, I'm surprised you didn't mention Dominic Team, both when answering this question and when you were chatting about players who could have had a moment uh, of the big three slash four if they weren't such a big factor. So yeah, come on, Team. He was my very risky bet for the for the for Roland Garros. Bill says those. Uh, uh, so, sorry to interrupt, David. Is Pedro saying there that that Team would be a mammal to flourish, or he yes. would be an existing dominant force taken out by the meteor? No, he would be exactly the sort of mammal who would just clean up i think this this is bad for team yeah i think this is really bad for team he was in such good form Mm. he had built and he'd built that up over a period of time and he was hitting his absolute peak going into the clay court season and it's gone he was andy murray olympic final 2012 i'm getting closer and what did andy murray do after that, he won his first Grand Slam at the US Open. That is where Dominic Team was. He, he he might be able to resume where he was and not have lost any ground. He's not going to gain any ground. It's not it's not good news. I hope it's not gain. bad news. He might just, you know, reboot and be even better. Go away, study. Like his tennis didn't really need to get any better, though. Well, it did. He doesn't... He needed to win. But... Or maybe... maybe he doesn't need to get fitter sus- or stronger. I'm not sure that's, he, that's even physically possible. Maybe if he can sustain his level and they're all a year older and he's a year into his prime, he can now be better than them. Because they're all old fogies. Maybe, but he had, he was about to get the opportunity, I think, to to seize the moment with them all still there. Um, to not have to just wait for a a meteor strike. Um, um, but... Bill says, uh, those who use the time wisely will benefit. Those who don't are your dinosaurs. Kyrgios is obviously the top dinosaur candidate. Great opportunities for players to get a small training group together if they can and work hard. Well, unless you, I suppose you'd have to do that virtually, Bill. Um, Rishi... This is this is interesting. Rishi is a, a New Yorker living in Minneapolis, and he says, with all due respect to Captain David Whitaker, I don't like the analogy. The meteor destroyed the large and powerful creatures, and the small critters were able to find the nooks and survive. This break is doing the opposite. The smaller and weaker players are the ones suffering. I don't see anyone lacking immense resources coming out of this break stronger. You can argue that the time lost will adversely affect the big three, Serena, because of age, but the time would have passed even if we were playing right now. The poor get poorer with the layoff. Well, I I agree with the point that... I mean, crises do um, exacerbate existing issues. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and that will be the case. Um, I don't think that discredits the analogy, just to defend uh, my dear dad. Uh, but I do agree with the wider point. But the, but the analogy says that the small and insignificant mammals would flourish post-apocalypse. Not necessarily, though, which we did which we did discuss, we did wonder, you know, that is the other part of the question of the analogy, whether they actually will. And personally, I'm not, I'm not convinced. 
I would be more surprised if when we pick up someone other talking about the men's game, someone other than the big three wins the first slam back. That would be more of a surprise to me than a member of the big three winning the first slam back. What's going to be the first slam back? Oh, God. If the UK (laughs) government with their team of epidemiologists can't uh, predict when the world's getting back to normal, David, we we ain't wading into that territory. Okay. I think if I had to click pick out of all tennis players, one absolutely clear-cut beneficiary, I would pick Bianca Andreescu. If I had to pick one clear-cut, um, what is the opposite of a beneficiary? Uh, loser. <laughs> loser. <laughs> um, I'd say Serena loser, Williams. You're co- you just called Serena Williams a loser. Uh, Matt sort of called Serena Williams a loser without knowing he was calling Serena Williams a loser. He knew he was calling someone a loser, though. Uh, but yes, so there we go. No, nobody's calling anybody. We're a loser. still just re-answering Monday's questions, <laughs> particularly yes. not Serena Williams. I just look. Dad Whitaker has come up with the best question we've ever had in eight <laughs> years of the show. All right, not according so, to Rishi. Well, no. Look how well he's engaged with it. Is it that's Rishi what makes Sunak? it a great question. No, it's Rishi Khanna. And and that's what makes it a great question is uh, is you can disagree, but it creates creates wonderful uh, responses like that. So thank you for yours. Right then. And very quickly, uh, I also asked, um, so would Kyrgios be on your boat? We've had nearly 500 votes and it's 50-50. No, I'm not getting into it, David. We've done this on WhatsApp. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, right. That's really that annoyed with... me. Yeah, I've already been in the doghouse today. You thanks. knew I uh, was having a bad day and you did that anyway and it really annoyed me. Okay. <laughs> 22 minutes into the show. Yeah. And what I'm was not it you said make... on Monday, David? Oh, we've only done one question after 20 minutes. Well, we haven't done any yet. We haven't done any yet. <laughs> and I've got in trouble. Oh, You you absolutely knew when you put that pole up that you were going to get grief from me, that it would rile me. You definitely knew. I know that when I put any hashtag pole vault up. No, but that one... I was very that careful one was with particularly my irritating. I said your boat. Yeah, but there isn't... There, aren't, there is a boat. It's, the, it's fundamental to the concept of the boat. Everybody's got their own boat in their own mind. No, but by definition, No. They might have an irrelevant boat, but for the purposes of our debate, there is one boat. Okay. I'm not saying there aren't other boats in the world, David. I'm just saying they are not pertinent to us. Right. Okay. Okay, so first question for this particular questions Keep show, it light, keep it light. <laughs> uh, is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, which Matt's going to leave his phone upstairs and disappear. <laughs> What's the podcast equivalent of that? Just logging off, just just hitting hitting stop on the record. <laughs> You've just been a party to um, a fairly regular occurrence on WhatsApp, folks. Uh, that's what it's like, uh, right? Okay, I irritate people and people react. Uh, uh, which four tennis personalities, players, 
stroke players would you invite to a dinner party past or present we can't possibly fall out over this simon wood on twitter uh has come up with that question so thank you simon four tennis personalities past or present billy jean king uh who else do i want Oh, Mary Carrillo. <laughs> even even though I've even though I've had dinner with her, <laughs> um, and... well, I'm just going to pick that name up off the floor. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> Still can't believe my luck. Um, who else am I going to have? Uh, Andrea Pekovic, because I think she's fun and interesting. Um, no, I've had three. I'm going to think about my fourth. Who, who do you want? Well, definitely Mary Carrillo. I mean, you need a you need a raconteur. You need someone who puts other people at ease, tells funny stories. So she ticks all those boxes. Um, Andy Roddick, I would add. I always like listening to him. Uh, I think he's funny as well. Um, who else? Naomi Osaka makes me laugh. And I think I think I think Mary could get good stuff out of Osaka and Roddick actually as well. Um, that sounds like a it, the thing that makes me most <laughs> anxious about dinner. Well, any social situation is mixing of friendship groups. That sounds like a mixing of friendship groups situation. Although you're okay so long as you have a social glue. So long as you have an extrovert type person, that can be a glue. I think I'm all right with Mary and Billie Jean King, aren't I? I mean, yeah. yeah. Mm. See, I would probably have Mary, Billie Jean King. I'd probably have McEnroe because of the the vibes within the group. Whereas you see, I kind of want to throw Marit Safin into my group just to sort of see what happens. I just want to see what happens. Mm. I would be a bit worried about feeling like an outsider in a friendship group. I've been at dinner with Marit Safin. To be clear, not just the two of us. Many <laughs> other people were present. Uh, and it was uh, a whole lot of grappa. Oh, right. Okay. That was the one and only time I've ever had grappa. Did that in... Uh, Tim Hemmer the... missed a flight the next morning, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the before and after Marit Safin on the grappa, did, does he change much or...? No, he's like... exactly what you'd expect. If you if you if you consider what happens to me when I have two beers, for instance, is oh, it he's got like a stronger or? constitution than you. No, I understand that right. everybody on the planet has. <laughs> I mean, in terms of personality differences, it, no, he can hold his liquor before and after. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's the same guy. I want to witness a conversation between Billie Jean King, Mary Carrillo, and Marit Safin. It's probably happened, hasn't it? I mean... Let us know, Mary. Uh, we'll let you all know when we're next on. Uh, right. Who, who, who have you got so far? Matt's You've got, got one more in his lineup. Can I substitute a tennis player for Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about Bruce Springsteen with Juan Martín del Potro? Oh, yes. Because they're buddies. They are. So they've got pre-existing vibes. I'm very preoccupied with vibes at social gatherings. <laughs> How did that, I mean? How is that? How have they come across each other? Um, Delpe is a big fan. 
He is a big fan. When he when he won, well, Matt's Indian, a big fan. I know, but I haven't won Indian Wells. And <laughs> when uh, when Del Potro won Indian Wells, I think they played Glory Days. And then when Bruce was playing, uh, when he was on Broadway in New York, Del Potro went to see him and got backstage, and they posed, and it was magic. It's, happens. It's great. Two great people. He could win Indian Wells, folks. If he, if he had decided to dedicate himself to the tennis and not been distracted by the tennis podcast, he could have won Indian Wells. Anyway, uh, Catherine, who, who are you having? Well, I want to go to Matt's dinner party now. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it back. If he's stolen Bruce Springsteen. Is Bruce Springsteen bringing anything? Like guitar or? Oh, he's, I mean, he's permanently Good times, David. Guitar. He's bringing good times. Okay. Is he bringing a bottle? Better days is is, is yeah. what he's bringing. Right, okay. Catherine, so you can't go to Matt's because he's got a full table, so you need to sort your own out. Uh, I've got Billie Jean King. I've got Mary Carrillo. I've got John McEnroe. And... It's going to be very loud, isn't it? Is it? You're, you're not going to say much. I sub out McEnroe. <laughs> um... Okay, um, let's let's assume you can have those three. Who, who who's your four? Do they have to be tennis players? Well, yes. I mean, it, well, it does say personalities. Matt's had Bruce Springsteen. I'm not sure about his tennis credentials. Um. All right, I'll let you have somebody else as a, as a wild card. Can I have an Albion player? Okay. No, I'll have Marit Seffert. That's fine. <laughs> Go on, Catherine. Um, well, I really, really want Bruce Springsteen now. Uh, Come and join Matt's, the party. Matt's yeah, had him. You're you're not allowed to to have the. Well, same. we've all got Mary Carillo. Yeah, but that's different. With the with the with the wild card, it has to be a one and only. Haven't we all got Mary Carillo and Billie Jean King? So shouldn't yes. we just hang out no, with those right. two and and have Bruce Springsteen what, play in the corner? We, Done. We've got another. Th- we've got another twenty nine minutes of the show left. I'll give you those twenty nine minutes to come okay. up with your final name. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, so, question for all of you. I'm not feeling from... very social at the moment. That's why no. I'm not able to get yeah. in the headspace. Really, dinner with anyone would be quite <laughs> yeah. nice. I can't conceptualise the concept of five people in a room together, David. I'm finding it very okay. hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite glad I'm over here for this particular show. Um, <laughs> and uh, note to Mary, Billie Jean and John McEnroe, don't ask her about any boats. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right. Question for all of you. If you were a pro tennis player, what would be your playing style and why? Would you be a baseliner, pusher, serve and volleyer, junk baller? Well, do you get to choose what style of player you are? I mean, if I were a pro tennis player, I'd just be a far, far better version of, of what I am now. Okay, well, give us, the, give us both. Give us what you would be if, let's say, you were pro standard at what you do what are you well Catherine, your best place to answer this on on our behalf yes is because you've seen us play david you're a you're a <laughs> <laughs> careful that, that sentence could end anyway i was gonna say junk baller but then i stopped myself and i'm gonna say serve and volleyer but you do need to beef up your serve and volleys no just serve <laughs> <laughs> come on you really do need to beef up your serve. But I think in I, spirit, you're a serve and volleyer. I genuinely didn't know my serve looked like that until you showed it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> but your volleys are nifty. Yeah, they are, to be fair. That was uncalled for on my behalf. I apologise. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> so it's perfectly all right, Matt. Um, the stats don't lie. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Matt's a... Marcelo Rios type. What's that? Former world number one, Miami champion. Good touch, good use of angles, lovely backhand. Mm, I will take that. Backside. Pain in the backside. In fact, well, I was actually looking through my school magazine fairly recently for um for pictures for our Did you have the ponytail? For no. <laughs> for our relived collage and my tennis coach in that described me as a double specialist, which I think is just a generous way of putting not a single specialist. <laughs> um, but I would take Marcelo Rios. I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm not gonna try to add anything to that. That's, yeah. That's, I, I've come out of that quite well, I think. Whereas um, I'm Mark Rosse without any talent. <laughs> Um, so, Catherine? Uh, I just uh, would hit the ball as hard as I can every single time, relentlessly. Imagine it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of outcome. 
Petra Kvitova. Yeah, or like a, a Sabalenka. Petra yeah. Kvitova, as uh, Kuzmova was once described. Yeah, but I've got a really, really dodgy serve. I can't do the ball toss. It's like a Dementieva. She oh, had a yeah. dodgy ball toss, didn't she? Mm. But I always and used it- to try and model myself on Kleisters. Yeah, who who would you like to play like, Matt? Are you are you happy with Rios or do you oh, want just, somebody else? I'm, I'm just taking pick Rios. the world number one, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I I love a drop shot. I feel like he liked one as well. Mm. Yes, you do love a drop shot. But I am right-handed. Mm. But you know, if if I were to mirror Marcelo Rios, I would play would play right-handed, wouldn't I? Oh, see what you've done there. Mm. There we go. Next I question. Actually think, I actually think one of the things that holds me back as a tennis player is that I watch so much proper tennis. And I <laughs> I end up, I've got a picture in my head about what my shot is about to look like based on what I watch all the time. And I, I'm physically unable to do any of that. So, um, yeah, we can't, we can't kid or delude ourselves, can we? We know what proper tennis is what proper tennis looks like and we we can't live in a fantasy land where we're any good i mean i can't tell you the number of times i've put my back out trying to do the pete sampras slam dunk smash i am not built for that but do you ever have uh, do you ever have dreams where you're amazing at tennis no i've had a yeah i've had dreams about being amazing at all sorts of things (laughs) you've never had a you've never had a dream you're amazing at tennis no. I have dreams where I'm like I'm landing triple axles all the time. In tennis? <laughs> no, but like that's the equivalent for me, I suppose, because that's what I did as a as a kid. That, that's a like good... my recurring like wish fulfillment dream. That's almost the sort of thing that happens in dreams though, isn't it? it you that you do a combined backhand winner and triple axle <laughs> and land it. Perfectly. But I think my for example, I think my brother who's like childhood like number one sport in terms of playing with tennis. I think he has dreams where it's just like a highlights reel of single-handed backhands. Mm. Okay, I'm interested, well, I'm go, interested that yeah, I thought you might, Matt. Interesting. No, well, I should probably say that I very, very rarely remember dreams anyway. Oh. You must be a very good sleeper. Mm. Respect. Less so at the moment, but uh, <laughs> normally, yes. <laughs> Uh, right, well, Dancel on Instagram wants to know, will the more united ATP stroke WTA be a more permanent change? Now, what I think Dancel is referencing here is that they've put out a couple of statements now com- combined. They've put them out at the same time with exactly the same content. They've also launched a social media drive uh, called Tennis United where they're they're hosting a show with Bethany Matic Sands on one side, Vasit Pospel on another, and they're having male and female player guests. So they're they're trying to do things together, which when you think over the years how separate they've been and and frankly how down their nose the men have often looked at the female players and the the women's tour um is is a is a departure and a, and it is a refreshing departure but is it temporary in your view or do you think it may be something that will continue beyond the coronavirus well i mean to me everything at the moment feels more 
symbolic or theoretical than actual action. I mean, we still had, at the very start of this crisis, it was still a disjointed um, effort to, you know, the ATP announced, a, what was it, a six-week blanket suspension and the, and the WTA didn't. And it seems to have been the radical move by the French Open, which kind of kicked everyone else um into action together which was which was obviously a good thing but i don't know i've not seen there's not a great deal of action you know a, a social media logo and some videos are great and they look cool but you know the proof will be in the pudding and i just i can't i wouldn't say that what we've seen so far points to a glamorous future of collaboration really um i just don't think there's enough to go on i think i would i would use what we've seen through many, many years where that hasn't been the case is much stronger evidence at the moment. But, you know, I'm hopeful. I I am actually maybe a little more hopeful than, than I was when we, when I, when, when I first read this question a while, a while ago, I, I just, I'm so used to dismissing the idea that I think I probably did. But when I actually think about it, why have they done what they have done? And actually, they didn't need to. They, you know, we could have had the ATP doing what they've typically done, which is no thanks. Um, and we haven't in this instance. And and look, I I don't I I remember Andrea Gaudenzi, the player. I, I was on as a, on the ATP tour at the time when he was a player. Uh, I was a communications manager, and I was surprised when he got this job really um he's he's obviously made some real strides in order to get to this point but i did find and i don't know him i don't know him i haven't seen spoken to him for 20 years um but i was taken by some of the quotes in the conference call that he had with the italian media the other day about how he feels tennis needs to be united now Let's see what happens when push comes to shove, when he actually has to make some decisions on behalf of the players. We've seen this with Chris Commode over the years. He would sometimes end up having to do in the job something he didn't really think was the right thing to be for the tour to be doing, but he was he had no choice. You know, if the the players and the tournaments push, it's very, very difficult to, to go against them. He's representing them. So we'll see. But I at least am encouraged by the mindset as opposed to just the the blanket arrogance that I think certainly cer certain players show. Um, and so hopefully that this will go beyond just this crisis and and if ever anything is going to change it's probably going to be because of a crisis like this yeah i think that's quite a strong point that you know it takes seismic events like this sometimes to force change and and frankly for a long time it did feel unthinkable impossible really for there to be any kind of real change everybody was at such odds um, and felt it felt like the gap was widening between positions and agendas rather than closening. So, yes, the hopeful side of me really sees that argument, David, and I I certainly hope that's the case. Um, <laughs> unsurprisingly, I'm I'm slightly more cynical or wary because I I think. <laughs> Crucially, I think the the motivation for the current union and harmony 
hasn't changed. The motivation isn't suddenly the greater good of tennis, which is what we've all been calling for, unity for the sake of the greater good of tennis. I think currently we're getting unity because self-interest currently aligns with the greater good of tennis. Unity acting as one and in harmony furthers both those both those aims but as soon as those aims become misaligned as they inevitably will again in the future I fear that everyone will revert to type or certainly those with the most power and and they will head for self-interest again and and so once self-interest means not acting in harmony with the other uh, bodies within tennis um that will become an insignificant consideration. That's what I fear. I fear as great as this unity is, and I hope, I I can only hope that it works and everyone thinks, ah, oh, right, great, why haven't we been doing this all this time? But I fear that it just so happens that unity and self-interest are currently aligned and that actually nothing has changed in terms of motivation or agenda. Oh, Catherine Whitaker to bring everyone down again. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I can totally understand why you why you fear that that will be the case. And that, um, that concept of self interest was something that uh, I read an interview on Forbes with Anne Worcester, the former CEO of the WTA. She said that in the nineties, the tours obviously were still separate, but they pushed for more combined events, um, more. Yeah, combined events, but the slams felt very threatened by that, and that they actually pushed back, and it, it took quite a lot of um, quite a lot of talks for for combined events like Indian Wells to to happen and to come through. But you know, even then, when even though it was a good thing to have these combined events, there was still some self interest pushing back against it from the slams. So that I think is always the main problem in this in this mm. situation um so it's interesting what you were saying mm. okay well there you go dan so that's uh that's our view um we also have a question here from max curtis on instagram who asks who's more likely to win a slam out of curios and dim and all i don't think either are going to win a slam uh <laughs> me neither me neither um, I think Kyrgios is more likely but to. I th- yeah, I think in this could, in this academic could, universe. <laughs> I think uh, Dimitrov will do himself proud time and time again. I just don't think there's enough there for yes. him to win a slam. I think Kyrgios, if he has an explosion where everything suddenly comes together for a fortnight, he could beat anybody. So I would disagree. I think Dimitrov is more likely. Ooh. Um because it seems to me that you're saying that Kyrgios's biggest obstacle is himself, whereas Dimonor's biggest obstacle is kind of the field, like players being better than him. You I think just, he's going to do a Thomas Johansson? I, and just I don't sort know. Of I just come through. Kyrgios has already shown that he can beat everyone. You know, he can beat the big three, and yet he still hasn't won a slam. So, if you remove the big three from the equation. Does it actually change anything for Kyrgios? I just think... Oh, interesting on, logic. Mm. You know, in tennis terms, he probably could win one now, but he hasn't. So 
his biggest obstacle is always going to be himself. He's always going to be there. Whereas Dimonor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back him against any of the big three at the moment, but I do think the standard required to win a slam is going to drop. And I think we are going to see more random winners. As I said, I still think it's more likely that he won't, but I think if there's someone to pick up the pieces at a slam, Dimonor strikes me as that kind of guy. Uh, there were problems with injuries and maybe his size a little bit, but I don't know. I've, I've been really impressed with Dimonor in the last year, the strides he's made. I think there's, I think there's possibly, possibly more in his game than we currently know. That's quite a compelling argument, isn't it? That, that, that there has been nothing st- beating the big three. Generally, the argument for why hasn't anybody besides the big three won slams or a particular slam, the answer is the big three. Mm. That's not the answer for Kyrgios. Yeah. So there, what what circumstances, what environment is there in which Kyrgios would win a slam that hasn't occurred yet? Hmm. Mm. You might have persuaded me, Matt. That was very, very good. Matt Roberts. Neither of them are winning a slam, though, are they? No. (laughs) No. You never know. You never know. Like I say, Thomas Johansson won in 2002 at the Australian Open, beat Marit Safin in the final. And we always talk about those years, about 2000 to before Federer took over, as a window. And I, I do think there will be a window again. There has to be. There will be one, but there are... Players slightly ahead of Dominor sure. to to take advantage, but yeah. you're right. Like once we're in that window, it's suddenly not going to seem like the most ludicrous thing in the world for Alex Dominor to the, win a slam. Was it the ATP Cup when he suddenly started to look the business, or was it the Davis Cup? I can't remember. It was the end of last year, the whole of the end of last year. Remember, he he beat he beat Murray and went on to win in Sh- was it Zhuhai or Shenzhen? Yeah, Zhuhai, I think Zhuhai. Um, and, and, he, and he won I mean it's a weird stat but didn't he win Atlanta without even facing a break point or something like that just like little things yes. pointing to a progression which for him was really beefing up his serve I just I always think that's what's held what, one of the things which has held Kane Shikori back his serve has just been not good enough to compete at that top 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 level against the big three whereas Dimonor's serve despite his size is actually quite beefy and then yeah at the HP Cup he looked brilliant um, and then obviously he got injured and couldn't play the Australian Open so we haven't yeah. really seen this new Dimonor Adderslam no. no and actually I, I think maybe this layoff will hurt him in that way mm. just this could have been a real breakthrough year for him um, but he'll keep coming won't he I mean I would have thought I'd expect him to just keep you know come straight out and be back on it um, final question for this listener question special is from Dan Siegel on Twitter, who asks, should I be okay with supporting Tennis Sangren despite his past Twitter sympathies for the far right? Which, uh, if you haven't followed, a couple of years ago, he he favorited, he liked, and he retweeted uh, some posts on Twitter from... Um, notorious far-right websites and accounts, which, yeah, it was really disturbing at the time when you actually read some of the material. Um, He said at the time at the Australian Open, it was the year that he first reached the quarterfinals a couple of years ago, and he said that I have 
curiosity and things and I like to go looking for 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 what people think about things and he he got absolutely eviscerated at the Australian Open people came down on him incredibly hard and uh, and actually for, the, for probably for the next year he was he had a really he was really ostracized um in the kind of mainstream and tennis twitter as it likes to call itself really uh really went for him um and i mean look i think he deserved he deserved a hammering no no question about it um and i do feel uncomfortable with with what he has said in the past what he has what he has put his name to in the past um and it's it's always in my mind whenever i see him play i can't forget those things happened and it's not like he's completely disowned them he's he's kind of he stopped doing that he's gone quiet and i believe he actually deleted a lot of those posts um so maybe he's changed his views uh or maybe he's just decided a quieter life is a better way forward for him um i i i don't discount the possibility that he has changed his his views with with time and has learned learnt from them um but maybe i'm being too charitable by saying that um i would personally dan leave it up to you uh to, to decide I, I don't i don't like the pile on the immediate pile on i mean some things are absolutely categoric um and his previous behavior i do feel falls under that category category but that doesn't mean he should be banished into the ether forevermore which some people seem to think he should be and and i i just i don't like the pile on um so i would rather leave it up to you to decide and and i wouldn't be about to slam you down for doing so yeah for me there are there are a couple of significant things at play with that question fantastic question by the way i'd say the first thing is that um we're very bad these days at uh, at allowing room for people to to change their minds um, because everybody enjoys so much being outraged. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I get very uh, het up and, and rageful. I like to think that I don't enjoy it, but there is something about social media that, you know, it's tapping into some, some sort of neuroreceptors in your brain, isn't it? And it's, um, it kind of forces you to, to, I don't know, revel in it or there's something going on there and it causes us to not give enough space for people to to change their minds. Um, but the other significant thing, I think, is that I think, first of all, the fact that you're asking this question indicates that you're obviously uncomfortable with his views, which is or the views that he has expressed in the past, which is great. And I think that everybody feels differently about whether it's possible to detach someone's art or endeavours or work from their personally held views. It makes me think of a debate I had with my friends a few weeks ago, back when I had real life human friends that I could see in person uh, about, I mean, in the living flesh, you know, 
uh, about Michael Jackson and uh, whether they could still listen. Michael Jackson came on shuffle on Spotify and one of my friends wanted to turn it off and the other one wanted to carry on listening. And I don't think either of those things are wrong. Personally, personally, I am able to still listen to the music of Michael Jackson. Um, maybe my enjoyment of it is slightly diminished to, to where it was before and I'm always conscious of the the complexity of the situation and the fact that he you know clearly was a sex offender um but uh, i other people can't they cannot detach the 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 crimes from the criminal and i think that's okay too so i think so long as you're aware that you're doing that and you're creating a mental detachment i don't think it's wrong to support somebody or listen to their music or enjoy their or enjoy their art uh whilst also being conscious of uh of of the person that they are in the wider scheme of things i would also say that there are plenty of other or not plenty there are a handful of players out there that are public supporters of donald trump and He's a white supremacist and a homophobe and a sexist and uh, an all-round terrible, terrible person. So if you're going to have issues with supporting Tennis Sangren for liking a couple of white supremacist tweets, I would suggest you probably have to have the same issues with those players, in my view. Mm. And I think we all have that individual choice to make and it's not necessarily a hard and fast rule. You know, for example... I can't detach um, the things that Tyson Fury has has said in the past when I watch Tyson Fury box. I mean, I don't happen to be much of a fan of boxing anyway, but that's constantly in my mind whenever I think of him. But with someone like Tiger Woods, who's obviously committed several transgressions, I can. I I still root for him on the golf course. but I'm, I'm aware of that choice that I'm making. Um, I just think when it comes to Sangrin, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that he did like and retweet or whatever, which was offensive. And I, I really get why people were offended by it. And I think the problem was is that it offended a lot of marginalised groups who often feel like they don't have much of a voice and social media gives them that voice. And that can be a really powerful thing. It can be a a great thing, a force for good, but also, as you said, David, it can lead to a kind of pile on and a a public shaming, really. I mean, there's lots of people who can talk about that more eloquently than I can. I've just been reading John Ronson's book about public shaming, and he used this quote about how um, the snowflake doesn't doesn't feel responsible for the avalanche. And the idea that you can you can send a tweet, you can get a kick out of sending a tweet but you don't realize the kind of collective power that lots of individuals sending tweets like that is having and it becomes this this pile on um and i don't think that's particularly helpful especially in the case of someone like tennis sanguine who as you said a lot of the a lot of his tweets now are not like that you know it's gone we don't know his motivations for that maybe he's changed maybe he's more wise to it than he used to be we don't know but to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt feels like the right human thing to do i think you still need to 
hold him account for what he did and you can still have it in your mind that you don't want to root for him. But I just feel like keeping that to yourself is a more helpful response than shaming someone constantly on Twitter. I feel like maybe it's different with someone like Margaret Court, for example, who's constantly putting out this dehumanizing language and aggravating people. But with Tennis Sanguine, he's not doing that anymore. So why do why do people feel the need to constantly attack him? I don't know. It just it just makes me a bit uncomfortable. Um, yeah, the Margaret Court issue, I mean, we're not going to get into the whole picture, but it is different because she is using her platform. She is hmm. using her publicity. She is using her status and her profile to promote her- horrendous and pretty damaging views about about the world and 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 certain human beings within the world and that that is that's different it is it's not 100% different it's in the same sort of genre of debate but there are there are nuances there that that make it that make it different um mm. i just wanted to cover that because it's an easy sort of comeback to the to the to the points i think we're all making yeah so i just think there's room for a balance right i think you know, you can you can dislike him for what he did, but be open to the fact that maybe he has evolved, as you said. Um, because if not, then you're ignoring the fact that people do learn by making mistakes. Um, yeah, if, to... if you're ignoring the fact that if you're ignoring the, the possibility that people can learn from the mistakes, then what's the point in shaming anyone? Exactly. If it's yeah. just for the joy of shaming and piling on and it's not in the hope that that people can change and see the light, then that's that's pretty depressing, isn't it? That's, mm. yeah. We got through five questions, folks. <laughs> is five. That, is that one more than Monday or the same? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Quite proud of that. Uh, so I have to come back again and do the rest um, because that's it for this particular We have time, edition. David. Yeah, that one All thing we've we got do is have time. Is time, yeah. Uh, we've also got shout-outs, Matt. Who have we got today? We do. Today we have Louise Cap. We have Elaine Harper and we have Mike Clary. So thank you oh. all very much. Louise, Elaine and Mike. Thank you so much for backing the tennis podcast at uh, the end of last year, the start of this year. That's enabled us to to keep on plowing on with the show this year to hire Matt to enable him to have a job. Thank goodness. <laughs> Because based on the last hour, I mean, listen to what he's just offered. I mean, otherwise you'd just have me trying to wind up Catherine and Catherine rising to the bait. Now you get proper conversation about tennis, which is what we're supposed to be here for. Um, We, uh, yeah, can't thank you all enough for your support. Um, Also, our mascot is Butler, of course. Butler, hope you're... Hope you're okay. We know that uh, we know that you've not been well, and we're thinking of you. Um, and also, if you have enjoyed the show, if you've been enjoying it, do tell people you know, your family, your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes if you wouldn't mind as well, because that helps uh, people out there to get a sense of what this show is all about, and hopefully 
begin listening to it as well. And we will be back with another one on Monday with Tennis Relived going back to 1995 for Boris Becker against Thomas Muster from Monte Carlo and the Fed Cup final of 1986, Martina Navratilova going back to her homeland of Czechoslovakia in 1986. We're going to be reviewing both of those and going deep with our research and and giving a sense of, of what we've found from watching those matches together we're going to watch uh, Martina against Hannah Mandlikova on Saturday night at eight o'clock and then on Sunday at four o'clock UK time it'll be Thomas Muster against Boris Becker on Tennis TV hope you can join us for those we'll post the links and we'll be back with you with another podcast on Monday 